Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Because if you've got little crunchy hemp seeds in it, she said, I do like the crack. <laughs> and they said, Oh, no, Mary, you can't say that. <laughs> Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Bakedown podcast, where we are going back in time, so to speak, and reliving Howard's series four glories and uh, looking back at all the bakes we got from that season. I am Sarah, and joining me this week we have Jane, Dan, and Howard. Now we are on episode six, Sweet Dough Week. Now, Jane, you just commented before we started recording that this is a week you might like to have tried. Yes, but Sarah, first of all. All the other weeks you've said, I have the lovely Howard, Dan and Jane. Today we're not lovely. What's the matter with us this morning? It's it's because it's week six and I'm getting a bit bored of you all. <laughs> <laughs> a rare moment of honesty. <laughs> <laughs> You hear, heard it. No, Jane, okay. you are of co- you are all of course always delightful people. <laughs> Sorry, it's going to be one of those episodes. I think. <laughs> yes, a sweet joke. I would have liked to have done this. I. I and, and you did point out that I say it every week, but I, to be honest, I love the bakes in this series. I think they're fantastic. And the idea of, of having a chance the night before, mind you, you must have been exhausted, Tad, chance the night before to, to get your dough ready and let it prove overnight. Actually, I'm not sure that gives you a sleepless night or not, wondering whether your dough is actually rising. No, I thought it was great. And, and I wanted to eat so many of these bakes. It's just my sort of thing. I love bready things. I love buns. I love fruit. I love cinnamon. This would have definitely been my week. I I possibly would have gone out, but (laughs) definitely the one I would have liked to have done. Howard, how did you feel about this week when you were there? When when I was there, I loved this week. And actually, (laughs) yeah, I I think I said this was one of of my favourite weeks. Great technical, loved loved the the whole thing. And I thought I'd got some some good bakes, so I was I was quite not confident, but I thought, yeah, this is this is okay this week. But I have to say, the other thing I was feeling at the time was absolutely exhausted. So it was that that kind of I suppose balance between looking forward to baking again and just knowing that you are running out of steam, I think. It was interesting, and you saying you're fed up with the Sarah already of week six. <laughs> After I week... assume that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> After week five. <laughs> maybe. Let's not let's not push it down. After week five, <laughs> Mel and Sue said to us, right, you've got halfway now, and your initial excitement has got you here. You now have to dig deep because it's all about stamina now and you could definitely see people getting more and more tired and thinking do you know what I don't really care if I go or I don't in my series and you could spot it so I think maybe that's it maybe you weren't absolutely exhausted and you just hit that oh I'm over the halfway mark but I'm not sure whether I've got the energy to go on 
I, I think it's tough. People underestimate how tough it is. I remember as well when it was <laughs> edited, we got an email from one of the producers saying, oh, Howard, we loved you this week. You were so funny. I know it's your week to go and what have you. You know, this was obviously after I'd gone. They weren't, they weren't kind of predicting. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, and so I remembered some of the, the kind of things that I'd said. I was a little bit, bit kind of dismissive of Mary at, at one point. And I thought all that was in the episode. And then watching it back, I'm thinking, I don't know what they thought was funny about this. <laughs> Do you know what, Howard, though? I think they say that to everyone, because actually they said it to me as well at the week <laughs> I went home. Because I was getting so much grief on social media at the time. And they were like, oh, I think the public will really warm to you in this episode. Like, it was really, it was such a sympathetic performance or whatever. And I don't, to be honest, I don't really remember because I only watched it once. Um, how many times have you actually watched the episode you went home in, though, Howard? Obviously, I've just watched it again. Yeah. Watched it, watched it once live. And then I think I've watched it once in between. Possibly, but not not necessarily all the way through. The week that I went was one of those that was kind of covered in Gogglebox. So the actual Glenn and I crying and, and going out. <laughs> and somebody phoned it. I'd never watched Gogglebox at that that point. If people have not seen Gogglebox, it's a British TV programme. And, and basically, it's people sitting at home watching TV as, as kind of armchair critics commenting on it. And someone said, oh, you're on Gogglebox. And so, yeah, so that was the first time I'd watched it. And I've uh, watched it ever since, but not not a great review of us, I have to say. Oh dear. Well, I thought you were lovely. I thought you were all lovely. I just wanted to give you uh, and Glenn a huge hug. So, yeah. Sorry to see you. Well, let's not give it away, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If anybody doesn't know what happens this week, we've kind of spoiled it for you already. Yeah. Sorry about that. Right, well, let's start off as we mean to go on with our signature challenge. So this challenge was a sweet tea loaf using yeast. And then it could be in a tin or free form. And you had three hours. Now, straight away, the little talking head before you started the challenge was Mary saying that three hours is fine for a tea loaf. And if they're sensible, they'll bake it in a one pound tin. Uh, and I do believe she... Um, criticised Christine for baking it in a too large a tin. What do we think of that? Go on, Jane. Go on. Me first. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, to be honest, except does yeast think, oh, I'm in a small tin, I'm going to rise a little faster? I'm not sure it does. Does being in a smaller tin make it rise faster? I'm not at all convinced. I need to actually do a bit of research on that one because... What did... Did she just mean if you bake a smaller loaf, it cooks quicker? Like, it, is it less about the tin and more about the volume of dough? Is that what she meant? Well, it would certainly bake faster, but it won't rise any quicker. Odd thing to say. I don't know. Sometimes I hear people say things on the bake I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I need to try that. Maybe I'll make a batch of dough and I'll put some in a one-pound tin and some in a two-pound tin and then see which one comes out better. Go on, make I a just... reel or something. No, yeah, I can't work out how to do those yet. <laughs> It'll moved on to something else by the time I make a reel, I suppose. The thing is, if you're worried, three hours, I don't think three hours is enough for an enriched dough that you prove twice. And in my year, we had to make a chocolate bread in our signature. And just about everybody's was either a bit raw or underproved or something, except for Andrew. And Andrew only did a single proof loaf and got the old pull, you know, oh, God, you know, are you doing the right thing? You're the only one doing it. You know how he does, just to sow doubt in your mind. At judging, he went, well, Andrew was the sensible one. So maybe you could have done a single proof for this and it would have been... I did a single proof for Catcher last night because I didn't have enough time. Wasn't technically a proper for Catcher, but it was blooming delicious bread. I do feel, though, if everybody is making the same mistake and we saw several uh, doughs that were sort of underproved and, and underbaked, maybe there just wasn't enough time. And I do think that, you know, sometimes I wonder about these food team people. You know, if you've already sort of worked out what the challenge is and you've sort of, you're setting the brief, then of course you can do it in the time because you know exactly what you're doing and you're hitting the ground running. And when pe people have got to work it out for themselves, maybe you just need to give them another 15 minutes. Maybe you need to give them another you know, half an hour. But from being in the tent, we all know that uh, 
a lot of our time gets taken up with chatting to Noel or Melansu or whoever and story producers. Maybe that's where some of their time went. But it just just seemed if everyone is is falling down on the same hurdle, maybe that hurdle shouldn't shouldn't have been there. For you, Howard, there was a lot of waiting time in this whole episode, wasn't there? You know, there was nothing to fill the proving time gap. And I've just written a lot of time waiting and everybody's standing there looking around, looking at their watch, having a look to see whether everything's risen. I don't know whether they've got better at that now. So they give you something to fill the void because you you could be standing there for an hour waiting for this dough to double in size or whatever it does. I think maybe for us viewing, it wasn't a problem, but it must have been really tough for you in the tent, Howard. Did you just eat all the snacks in your drawer? I think it was, but I think it's all. I think there were lots of shots of, of, of several of us, including me, just looking downright worried. Like, what is going on in here? And I, I hadn't thought until you mentioned it about the kind of atmosphere in the tent and the coldness of the utensils and the equipment and so on. That there was something strange that week about why things weren't proving properly or baking properly or whatever. And we, we were, I think Christine and I in particular, were just thinking, what is it that we're doing wrong here? You know, it was it was awful. It was a very dark, rainy weekend, so maybe the yeast was just feeling a bit gloomy. <laughs> yes, I think gloomy, <laughs> gloomy yeast. But, but just picking up on your point about filling the time, we didn't get a sense of, I, I know they said about... Um, I think it was Ruby who was was putting some marmalade on top of hers, and and uh, she was candying some oranges or or whatever. But we didn't see any of that, did we? They just appeared. Mm. And I think Frances had, had done flavored butter and made caramel teaspoons to go what with she? her. Yes, but we didn't see any of that either. So it's like, you know, there were people who were filling time. It's just I think it was just Christine and I who were just having a cup of tea. <laughs> this series, I have never seen so many cups of tea in my life. It made me quite jealous because in my season, and admittedly only made it through six weeks of my season, spoiler alert, um, but I had one cup of tea in the entire time, and that was in the signature of Bread Week when there wasn't much to do. I had one cup of tea, and, I, and like Kimberly's had about ten at this point. <laughs> I'm very jealous. I don't know where anyone has found the time to drink all this tea. Very upsetting. <laughs> well, we had some lovely flavours in our tea loaves. We had a couple of chai tea-inspired flavours. Francis with her lovely chai tea loaf with its uh, its little bum crack. It was adorable. <laughs> in the giant cup. Uh, Francis's design is just... Just lovely. And Kimberly's as well, a chai-spiced ginger and date loaf with a chai-spiced butter ripple. I think they both did very well on that. The judges definitely liked the flavours. But, Howard, we've got to talk about your oh. your loaf. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> was, was Mary really as disgusted as she seemed by the whole idea of putting hemp in a loaf? I, d- I don't think she was disgusted. I think she was quite fascinated. And obviously... Okay. They, I, I think the producers had, they were encouraging Sue to tease a little bit as well. And, you know, the, the shot of Mary sniffing a bag of, of hemp uh, was, was clearly one that they wanted to have, yeah. So. Well, I'm, sometimes I wonder how much if Mary is, knows and may, how much she's letting on because she said, "Oh, is it some kind of grass?" Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, did someone, did a producer tell her to say that, or was she really asking, or did she actually know, or was just, do you know what I mean? I, I just... She had a great deal of innocence. I remember one when she, uh, one of the things which again I remember, but was clearly cut from the the edit was Mary biting in, and because it had got little crunchy hemp seeds in it, she said, I do like the crack. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, Mary, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Howard, speaking of things you can't say, uh, you had another name for this loaf, didn't you? I did. I, I, it was called a high tea loaf. Yeah, <laughs> 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 
But uh, it wouldn't allow me to get away with that, no. Uh, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> what did it taste like? What does hemp taste like? It it has got a kind of slightly earthy flavour to it, but there was not a great deal of hemp, I have to say. Although you, you don't need a lot in order to give it that, that kind of earthy flavour to it. So there was quite a small amount. You could see it, it makes it quite green ish or greenish brown looking so it has quite a rich color to it but i'd i'd done i think it's dan leopard who does a marrakesh cake or something that's got got hemp flour in it and i'd seen a bag of this hemp flour in brighton and i thought i'll give it a go you know i'll have a see what it's like but i think i probably just went a bit ott really do you think if you'd cooked it in a tin. In a tin? One pound tin, yes. Well, not <laughs> a one pound tin necessarily. I think a tin would have helped. I think so, because it didn't look the prettiest, did it, really? No, it looked like a flowered cow pat, didn't it? I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> when I had baked it and baked it successfully, I'd been able to score a kind of hemp leaf on top, which looked quite attractive. But, but yeah. Not this time, no. Well, sadly, it didn't look the prettiest. I wanted it to look lovely. I'm starting to question whether or not Howard is, in fact, a fan of the naughty cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing hemp leaves on a loaf of bread. OK, Howard. Yeah. Um, but actually, that's quite an easy pattern to score. Yes, actually, it is. It? Yeah. 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 Is it? I yeah. have no idea what a hemp leaf looks, looks like. It's sort of fan. It's just yeah. fan-shaped, a fan-shaped oh, leaf. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. very simple. There is more to the plant than just the naughty cigarettes, Dan. Thank you very much. We know where your mind is this morning. I was they grow one. out of hemp, didn't it's, they? Yeah. It's an amazing plant. I, I didn't, didn't really know anything about it. I did a little bit of research after looking at Howard's loaf. You can do all sorts with it. You can make buildings out of it. You can make plastics, wood. Oh, really? Everything out of it, not just food. It's an amazing plant. It has so many uses. It is very versatile, yeah. And I have to say the seeds in particular are are really tasty as well. After they've been toasted, they're lovely in, in kind of salads and all sorts. Mm. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm going to give it a go. If anybody is uh, now going to be trying hemp seeds or hemp flour in their baking, do let us know how it goes. But I have to say, Howard, and this is all shade, is whenever I look at your signature baking, I always do this thing, just think, oh, that'll keep me regular. There's always a hint of health. It's funny because you've got the two things that I notice about your baking is you've always like you're quite brave with your flavors, but it always has this hint of like, oh, I'm going to be slightly good for you. Um, so it's just it's interesting. I think you you do less of the healthy stuff these days, yes, don't you? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Mary said that, didn't she? She said it looks as though it would be good for me. Yeah. <laughs> mm. But you know what? Moving on to other people for a second, I like some of the other simple uh, bakes. And one of the, the ones that I quite like, which is very, well, it's not underrated if you talk to Welsh people, but barrow breath, like, which is delicious. It's basically just sort of soak your, your, fr- your dried fruits in tea, usually overnight before you bake it. And it's absolutely delicious. And it's sort of a tea scented loaf with some nice succulent fruits in it. And I did wonder well, how the judges would take to that because it is pretty simple but it doesn't look like Beckett executed it amazingly well but I love the flavour of Barabrith and I think it will be lost on many of our listeners who maybe don't you know the Americans are not huge fans of fruitcake are they but um, that's probably the one I would have most liked to have eaten. Yeah sorry the comment that was made and it goes back to our original conversation about this challenge I think Mary said Best bake you could have done with the time you had. What did that mean? I don't know. I thought she, they were talking about because she put the fruit in at the first prove, it inhibited the the prove because of all that extra fruit in, which is something that Paul was telling her, almost telling her not to do. And I think Ruby did Mm. that. She didn't put her fruit Mm. in in the first prove. So I think considering that... She got a pretty good prove and a pretty good bake, but it was the fruit that shouldn't have gone in in the first prove. Good job one of us is watching. Well, yes, I, it, that missed me as well, but um, she didn't seem to have a bad bake compared to everybody else, did she? Really? And no. <laughs> no, it seemed pretty good. Did anybody have theirs cooked properly? Oh, I, I think Francis. Oh, the only yeah. one was Francis. Yeah. Francis was the only one that had hers cooked. Francis's criticism, uh, do you know when just one of the comments just gets your back up? Paul said it looks quite boring. 
And I just thought, wow, that's a bit harsh. And I don't think it was boring either. I think he said just on top. He said yes. it's a bit boring on top, but you got to you got to cut into it, and you that's that's the point, isn't it? You cut into it, you see the swirls, and it's like the oh, reveal. Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It was a bit pointless. It just seems a bit of a... What? I, I do tend to agree, being the person who generally throws the kitchen sink at my bakes and over-decorates. I, I think I think <laughs> a, a little stencil with some icing sugar, if it was supposed to look like a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, or maybe it's a cup of tea, therefore you wouldn't have put anything on the top. I it don't looked know. kind of like a cappuccino, didn't it? I would have quite liked to have had just a bit of icing sugar and a, maybe a stencil on the top, and that would have just lifted it to the absolutely amazing. And I, I did feel, feel sorry for her because they said it needed a bit more style. And then she was like, well, I tried to not do style over substance. But then she went, I think she went too far the other way. Well, I thought it was pretty stylish, but then I was never known for my artistic vision on Bake Off, so um, maybe my standards are a bit lower. A sprinkling of icing sugar is hardly artistic, is it? It's just That's a artistic finish, for me. The finishing <laughs> touch. <laughs> Joe, if I was as artistic as Howard, I'd probably get a doily and put that on top and then sprinkle <laughs> the icing sugar. <laughs> nice. I've only done that once on a Victoria sponge, so... Do I kind... No, I'm not. I'm not making fun. I kind of love it. I think it's. I'm a real fan of things that have a big impact for low effort. Yeah. And um, my grandma used to do that with the doily and, and powdered sugar. And I think that's inspired. Yeah, but something like that would have worked really nicely. I think, Jane, I think you're right. I think Frances did mention that she did have a stencil that she tried at home. And I think maybe she just didn't, chose not to do it on the day. Dan, sort of a slightly sideways swipe at us, Howard, with age and grandmas and doilies, Doilish, yes. No, no. As usual, Dan, as usual. (laughs) I'm sweetness and light. Jane's the horrible one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, moving swiftly on, let's talk about a couple more of our bakers. Let's talk about Glenn's panettone. That looked really, really lovely with his saffron in there to just give it that yellow colour as you cut into it. Now, I didn't know about this, about a panettone, that you, uh, you cool it in the way he did, rather precariously. It wasn't really a panettone, though. I mean, so listen, I've made my own panettone only enough times to prove that I can do it, if you like. It's a huge time investment. It takes about three days to make one properly. And that is so proved and so fluffy that like, if you called it, it would just sort of collapse in on itself and, and be very, very sad looking. You have to get special equipment. And he sort of mocked up something to show it. But yeah, calling it panettone and expecting to make it in three hours or whatever it was, I think that's uh, ridiculously brave. And I don't think it really paid off for him because if you're going to call it a panettone, it better have a crumb like one. Otherwise, what business you got calling it a panettone? What? Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Well, the judge just said it had lovely colour and excellent flavours, but it was slightly underbaked. And yes, he did call it a sort of a panettone, uh, but I think everybody struggled with underbaking. And let's go on to Ruby's tea loaf, a citrus tea loaf with orange marmalade and candied fruit. Uh, now, the judges thought it looked really nice, loved the citrus, but again, underbaked in the middle. Do we think this is this is a fault of the challenge, then? Yes. If everybody's struggling with the... <laughs> what did you think, Howard? Did you think it was enough time? I'd done it in the time, but, but then again, I, I, thought, I, I was just concerned with... with kind of proving and baking this thing the idea that that i would then make marmalade or candied orange slices and things like that on top of that i don't i don't know but i must be quite naive really i thought i'd, I'd never seen a decorated tea loaf up until then. no i think tea loaves tend to be plain but Well, this is what you guys often say, you know, you are prepping in your own houses without meeting any of these other people and just going off what you think is right. And then you get into the tent and people are doing other stuff and you go, oh, (laughs) okay. That happened to me a lot. But I do think how it's right. When you think of a tea loaf, you just think of a very plain cake. You know, I might think of the most exotic thing I would think of would be like a lemon drizzle. Do you know what I mean? Like it would just be like 
just a, a loaf cake with maybe an icing glaze on the top. Like I wouldn't think to do candied peel or anything like that before I watched programs like Bake Off. So yeah, I probably wouldn't have instinctively done anything. I think also for people like Jane and I who have been on later series, it's easy to look back at these series with all the lessons we've learned from watching them and assume we would have known better when in reality we probably wouldn't have known any better at all, would we, Jane? No, probably not. I mean, yeah, I look back now and think, oh gosh, you know, you you should have paced yourself better you should have done this and when I went on to the Christmas special I thought it's all about the time don't overdo it you've got to finish and make it look lovely and then I carried on and did exactly what I did in the series and yeah. <laughs> ended up messing up so you know old dog and new tricks I think I, it, I, I, I didn't I didn't learn but as far as the decorating is concerned I think as we did go on to the later series and saw what bakers did we probably upped our game as far as the decoration was concerned but I would have probably just started with a nice glow and had a nice shiny rounded top on my loaf so I'm with you Howard I wouldn't necessarily have thought to do um, candied fruit and bits and pieces and made my own marmalade and had I been in series four being in series seven of course you had another three three series to change your plans and, and perhaps we then ended up doing too much who knows give us another chance love productions let us all come back and see if we can do better <laughs> Well, after the signature challenge, uh, I think Francis, Kimberly and Ruby doing very well with excellent flavours. I think most people did well with flavours, but definitely underbaking was a bit of a challenge with everybody. So now we move on to our technical, and this was an apricot coron, uh, two and three quarter hours. Here we go. Now, straight away, there were different ideas about do you expose the filling quite a lot do you keep it quite hidden Jane this reminded me a lot of the Babka class that we've done with you quite a few times yes and I've done an apricot curon as well and the idea is when you do cut down the middle you then turn your two bits upside down so you expose the filling because that's what you want to see because it looks very pretty and it all cracks open a little bit as it proves and, and bakes um and you, as Ruby did, and she was the only one, I think, that did it, and the only one that said it, certainly, that I noticed, she kept those cut sides upright so that she exposed all the filling. And there are various techniques for doing it. I find it much easier, if anybody's done the Babka class, to cross the two strands of dough over and then twist from the middle either end. You get a much more even twist. The difficult thing is, is joining them up. But I love a curon. It looks very impressive. And the only danger is you might burn the fruit that's poking up. So when you do have your filling exposed, sort of the really burny bits, like if, it, if you were putting raisins or sultanas in, which really do burn and go fairly nasty and puff up, don't they? And those horrible little burnt balls of fruit that you sometimes fall off. My mother used to call them dead flies. Well and truly baked dead flies. But you just push your fruit back in a little bit and then, yeah, just twist it around and make it nice i i think they're lovely and two and three quarter hours seem ridiculously short for this but everybody seemed to have a better bake and i wonder if it was warmer in the tent by then and all your ingredients had been out in the warmer conditions for about six more hours maybe that made a difference i, I don't know but also didn't the first prove happen with no fruit in it because it would have been spread on in another layer. So yes. it had also had a yeah. good, good chance. Yes, true. Travel. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Now, how would you say this was the first technical you'd actually enjoyed? I d it, didn't, it didn't kind of freak me out. I thought it's, it's a sweet dough. And I think if you follow, although the instructions were limited, like they always are, apart from the twisting part, which confused me a little bit, I thought it's, it's all reasonably straightforward. You know, it's a proof. You shape it. Second proof. You bake it. It it was it was fairly simple. I do remember. I'm not a great fan of icing in general. <laughs> I remember Ruby saying to me, "Put more on. Put more on." And uh, it's like, really? I think it's got enough on. And she was probably right. But yeah. You had a very long, <laughs> narrow rectangle when you rolled your dough out, I yeah. noticed. Yes. I, I think I'd done it slightly differently to what other people. So a lot of people did a large rectangle, spread it with the filling and rolled it up. 
what I did was do a, a longer rectangle and just do a shorter roll or almost a fold over, didn't I? And then shaped that. So, yeah. But I think we all did okay, really. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I would agree. I think on another week, you could have been sort of middle of the pack, you know, even higher up. I don't think anyone did badly, did they? Although so some people had some ideas that I thought it was quite funny. Ruby had obviously seen one, maybe made one, I don't know. I thought hers was beautiful. And she had the foresight to put foil on it when it was colouring quickly. So she, I feel like she'd done something like this very much before. But Christine had the completely the opposite idea. She was trying to cover up the exposed ends. I don't quite know what was going on in her mind there. Uh, maybe she just hadn't seen one before. But even the people who maybe didn't have the best intuition still made something that was well-baked, you know, that had good flavour. I think everyone had understood the the rolling te- technique. So I don't think anyone did badly. And I think of uh, of all the weeks to place at the bottom of the pack, Howard, I, don't, I think that wasn't uh, too bad at all. No, I, mean, I remember on the way, yeah, because this would have been at the end of the first day, wouldn't it? I know I remember us taking some of the Quran back to the hotel with us. And we were all trying it and all sort of saying, yeah, they're all good. They're all good. Yeah. 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 And it's the sort of thing I love to eat. I love a currant bun. And they all looked pretty good, I think. And it, it was only aesthetics. Everybody seemed to get it proved. Everybody seemed to get it baked. And I can't quite work out the difference between the early signature and, and this. Because I would have thought two and three quarter hours was much too short. But Paul's comment at the beginning was, I hope they don't mess. This is one of my favourite recipes or something. I hope they don't mess up. Well, give them a little bit more time. (laughs) It just, this time thing, I know it's Bake Off and I know they're always tight for time as far as filming is concerned. But, oh my goodness, some of these yeasted challenges are just scary with the amount of time you've got. Well, it was a reasonably good challenge overall. Paul said he was quite pleased that they were all pretty well baked. Now, Howard, unfortunately, as you know, it was last place for you. What do you, what do you think really put you in last position over other people? I think it was the lack of understanding about the shaping in the first place. But I also think it was that blessed water icing that it just looked a bit insipid and a bit, a bit drizzly. Becca then went the other way, didn't she? And she came six so she'd gone you know really thick with the icing but so it's it's a lesson to uh, to get the balance right really so yes becca was sixth uh glenn was fifth christine fourth kimberly third francis was second and ruby came first ruby's little face whenever she does well in a challenge bless her in all the technical challenges she's sitting there like with a huge like bambi eyes really worried and then when she gets good praise uh, she always just comes through with a big smile. So believe in yourself more, Ruby. It's weird. It's like I, I'm also my own harshest critic. So I, I get the the energy of just assuming everything you've done is rubbish until you've been told otherwise. But at the same time, it is also quite annoying because you're like, just have a little faith in yourself, girl. Like, you're doing a good job. Like, what? Like, at least wait for someone else to tell you you've done badly, you know? Exactly. This is the proof. You are in the tent. You are yes. doing well. You are winning. Yeah. This is this is proof. So, Howard, we have a very special class with you in the near future, don't we? We have a free webinar. Now, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. It, it's it's me doing uh, strange things again with, uh, with Doris, isn't it? <laughs> so, we're doing un- Uncinelli, little Easter cookies, which are supposedly based on a kind of crochet knot. And I did a batch and thought, oh, they'd look like little sheep. So I <laughs> made another batch to look like little lambs as well. So we're doing lemon ones, the traditional way, and some chocolate ones, which will look like little sheep. I thought they were adorable. I, I love them. So yeah, they're very sweet. They almost, uh, forgive me for bringing up other bakers, but they almost look like something Kim Joy would have done, like with the sweet little faces on them. I just oh, thought they were, they were adorable. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, do come along and join us at Howard's Easter Cookies webinar. This is going to be on Saturday the 8th of April at 10am PT, 12pm CT, 1pm ET and 6pm UK GMT. We hope to see you all there. It is completely free. It is a one hour class. And uh, please do feel free to invite friends, family, children, everybody and come along and bake some lovely Easter cookies with Howard. 
we have some questions for you all. Thank you everybody who has been writing in with questions. We are working our way through them, so please do keep sending in all your questions. We have a question here from Alex. Now, Alex says, I am a keen baker from the UK, but live in Seattle. For my son's birthday, I made vanilla cupcakes or fairy cakes and stumbled across a recipe for ermine frosting or boiled milk frosting, which was popular over here once upon a time. It's really simple. Make a roux type sauce with flour, sugar and warm milk, leave to cool and then add butter. And it was utterly delicious. Have any of you ever heard of this? And has anyone in the tent ever made this? Not that we can think of anybody. It seems far less faff than Swiss meringue buttercream. Now, what do we think? Are we fans of ermine frosting? I would say ermine buttercream is, I like to position it as it's the protein buttercream because uh, it's slightly higher protein content than anything else. It's healthy buttercream. Of course, it's not. No buttercream is healthy. But it is it is sort of a slightly healthier version. It does also hold up to heat the best of all buttercreams. So if you are in a slightly warmer, more humid climate, it is slightly better for that. Is it delicious? It's okay. I don't know. I mean, it's fine. I prefer a Swiss meringue buttercream. That's my preference. But I totally get there are people who love ermine buttercream. I can never be bothered to wait for things to cool as well. I think that's sort of a problem. So, um... <laughs> Jane, what are your thoughts? Oh, I love it. I don't make it very often because I, I don't use a lot of buttercream unless I'm making a cake and then I don't know, whatever, um, which isn't as often these days. But I, I really like it and I prefer it to Swiss meringue buttercream, to be perfectly honest. What? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a huge Swiss meringue, but I'm not a huge buttercream fan. and I, I use it depending on what I want to do with it. So, you know, American buttercream is brilliant if you're making a cake and you're shoving it out for a birthday or something because it, chills it crusts it's very stable it holds its shape it holds yeah. its shape exactly swiss meringue and italian oh no i'm not i it always makes me go oh well, i'll make that and then i taste it and go oh it's all a bit boring really but ermine i love ermine buttercream it's as tasty as you want to make it it's how you flavor up that roux and flavor up the milk flavor up this yeah you know, just, i think it's delicious it's not too sweet it has a it's not bland, I don't think, as long as you've got a bit of salt in it. I think because it's got a slightly, like, like take this with a pinch of salt, a very slightly earthier quality, it's got a wider spectrum of flavour to it than maybe something that's just sugary and buttery. So it just gives it another little dimension, having that sort of... It doesn't taste flowery, but it's a slightly, it has a slightly lower flavour profile. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? I understand the sort of thing you mean. I mean, I've, I've never tried it before. This sounds really interesting. Howard, what do you think? Have you ever made one before? I've never made one before. No, I'm I just thinking about the ingredients. It reminds me very much of something that I have done before, which is a sweet white sauce. So Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, mm. you, you can do, if you're doing a, a steam pudding or something like that and you don't want to do something with eggs in it, you can do a, a sweet white sauce flavor that with nutmeg or orange or or whatever and then add the butter at the end and that just gives it its final glossiness oh. yeah absolutely just like that howard basically what custard powder makes basically isn't it because that's just corn flour and uh, and milk i mean it's more stable you know when you beat up um creme pat and it's this big lump that's set quite firm in the fridge and then you whisk it it goes quite runny again, doesn't it, in a way? Smooth. Well, smooth, but definitely softer. Yeah, yeah yes, yes, yes. The ermine, I think, because of the extra flour in it and it hasn't got the eggs, it, I think it holds its firmness and therefore gives is easier to pipe, I think. I, no, I like an ermine. I think that's the butter, darling. I think it's the butter that's doing that. Maybe. There's a bit of everything. I, yeah, I mean, I I like ermine anyway. I, I'll tell you what yeah. I start. I tried the other day, which everybody seems to be raving about these days, and, and that's the Russian. I think you mentioned it, Sarah. Has anybody made Russian buttercream? What? Wait, what one's that? It was so you, Sarah, wasn't it? I tried it. It was butter and condensed milk. Ah. It was very... Sweet? I mean, I think we tried it in a class with Rosie. It was, it was actually very, very tasty, but it was very hard because you've got to get the butter so whipped, so, so whipped perfectly, and then add the condensed milk a little bit at a time. And with mine, it tasted beautiful, but it curdled. And then I did Jane's trick that she's always saying, you know, heat a little bit up, 
to introduce the warmth back in. And when it was mixing, it was beautiful. And then as soon as it cooled a little bit, it split again. So I, I found it very tricky to work with. I found it really, really tricky to work with. And I'm not sure if it was easy. Tasted all right, Dan. It wasn't, it's not too sweet. It was beautiful. Not, not compared to sort of American. And you think, oh gosh, that's nice and easy. But actually it isn't. It's quite unstable and it's really difficult to not get it to split. And, and people say online, well, add some icing sugar to it to help stabilise it. And then I think, well, what's the point? I might as well just make a different one. What's the point? Yeah. French is delicious that you make with egg yolks. I really like a French, but actually yeah. it's really expensive. You don't get much quantity for that. I was going to say, it's hard to make and expensive. Mm, it's hard to make and expensive because you, yeah, you need a lot of egg yolks. And that digital thermometer. And that digital thermometer. <laughs> Well, Alex, thank you very much for your question, uh, for prompting a lovely buttercream debate. I do love these debates we have over food. It's very much fun. So thank you, Alex. Now we have a question here from Jaya or Jaya. I hope I'm getting the pronunciation of that right. They say, hello, this is a question for the podcast, which I'm enjoying very much. I'm re-watching series four to keep up with the podcasts. So I'm very glad you are enjoying it. And I see that all the contestants are looking at each other during all the technical challenges. I thought this was a no-no, or is that only in later series? Now, this is something that you guys were doing a lot, Howard, in the Caron Challenge, or it seemed to be. Glenn seemed to be very much checking out the competition, as if you like. Do you feel that happened a lot in your series? I didn't particularly notice it was different to other series. Obviously, if you're at the back of the tent, you can survey in any case, so it doesn't really, you can do it more subtly. I think what I was, I kept turning around, didn't I? I kept turning like, I have no shame. Yeah, so it's probably just me. It's probably just me. <laughs> it's everyone. It's everyone. Like, I would always, just as a security measure, you'd have a look around and just check you weren't doing something completely different to everyone else. But obviously, if you've made it before, you kind of know what you're doing anyway. And there were a couple of occasions where I'd made it before and I was sort of watching other people making mistakes and thinking, oh, thank God I know what I'm doing. And there were other times when I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, and frantically looking around the tent going... Give me a clue. Let's see what the majority of people are doing and try and do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, but it, you're not supposed to look. You're not supposed to. You're certainly not supposed to talk to anyone or ask for help or give help. Uh, that's what we were told on our season. We were told that too until we got to the technical for Fugas, where it was quite hard to follow. If you hadn't made it before or eaten it before, you had to follow how you were supposed to cut it. And Andrew and Tom, Tom... Bless him. I love him to bits. Used to He and his wife used to buy fugas and take them to the cinema instead of popcorn or a packet of, <laughs> packet of wine gums. They take fugas to the cinema. Oh, my goodness me. Um, so he, he was very aware of what the slicing used to, should be on a fugas. And so Andrew was in the, on the bench next to him or in front of him. Um, and they actually turned around and had this fugas leaf slicing discussion. And we're all like, this is outrageous. We're told we're not allowed to turn around and chat and ask people. And you are blatantly asking how to cut this fugas. Needless to say, they came pretty high in the technical mm. and some of us didn't. So, um, yeah, you're not supposed to. You're certainly not supposed to talk. I'm surprised they allowed that. We were too. It seemed like out-and-out favouritism to us. But... Have, have the producers at any point stepped in and said... Yes. Oh, they did in ours. Mm. Yeah, they absolutely... All the time. Just goes to show that cheetahs prosper. It's <laughs> an important life lesson there. Yay! Um, no, but I did get told. I was, you know, they were like, this, I think, I think I remember somebody in a very teachery fashion saying something like, "Keep your eyes on your own bench," and I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> <laughs> no copying. No copying, Dan. I think actually, from memory, I think I was look, I probably looked like I was about to give someone some advice, and I think that's probably why they said it to me. Because you know, when you, in all seriousness, like when you see someone messing up, you do kind of, even though you're technically in competition, you do kind of want to say to them, "Oh no, don't do that, don't do that." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's tempting. It's tempting. I think the other thing that might be happening as well is that as the different seasons have have gone on. The producers have thought, you know, we could focus less 
on people like Howard turning around and having a cup of tea and sitting on a stool, and maybe a bit more on the brakes, actually. <laughs> maybe, I think so. Mm. <laughs> Interesting concept. Um, there, was, there was definitely a shot of you, Howard, which... I must admit, I wondered how they got it. It was from yes! very underneath, and you were sort of very focused on the horizon, and it was a very... It was odd. It was really weird. But there were some beautiful shots of Howard when you were dusting your peachy buns at the end, and Kimberly was chopping up kumquats. The, uh, the camera was like really focused into the food. It was just like, oh, somebody's getting very close this week. <laughs> Especially the peach crack. <laughs> yeah. There was lots of close-ups with really shallow depth of field. And, I mean, I'm getting old now, but my eyes were like, what am I even looking at? It was far too close. Yeah, it was bizarre. Well, yes, we should just thank everybody for sending in their questions. Thank you to Alex and Jaya. And uh, please do continue to send in your questions. You can send them in to thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com or you can share them on social media. We are at Bake With A Legend on all platforms. Now, our showstopper challenge. Howard, we've, uh, we've briefly touched on your peachy buns and I'm sure we shall be talking about them a little bit more. But let's just quickly go over the brief for our showstopper. We had two different varieties of European sweet buns, 12 of each. Now, you had 30 minutes in the, at the end of the first day and then four hours in the next day. So how was that for you? Was that, uh, was that an advantage, you think? I think it was an advantage, but it was one of the weirdest things being in the tent for, for 30 minutes because obviously Mel and Sue and Mary and Paul were there. And Mel and Sue introduced the, uh, the kind of 30 minutes and then everybody left apart from the camera people and a, a couple of producers. So it was absolute silence for 30 minutes just making up it was so weird so so oh. weird yeah bye. yeah <laughs> bye guys i'll be here for another half hour but okay i'm not surprised that everyone made brioche because if you've made brioche before you'll know that you sort of make the dough you add all this an ungodly amount of butter it's quite alarming when you see it go in actually for the first time you're like this can't be right it's way too much butter but you have to leave it to chill overnight as they said so not surprising maybe that everyone uh, made a brioche Had you made brioche before howard i had yes yeah so i i was sort of happy with that and the idea of doing one lot of dough and then splitting it and doing two different flavours. I think, if I remember rightly, Christine didn't do brioche. She did some... I can't remember what she did. She actually said, I don't need this 30 minutes. Oh. So she she used it for doing some of her fillings or something like that. She actually made her dough up on the day. Just, just a question, Howard. So when they're describing everybody's bakes they're saying oh well so here's the brioche and here's the something else did some people do brioche and then do a second type of dough on the second day or did did everybody divide their brioche and then alter the flavors because they seem to focus on brioche on one bake and then not on the other i think most people as i say from my recollection possibly apart from christine i think most people made up their uh, their dough in that 30 minutes the, the night before but I think some people I think possibly Ruby was one maybe Kimberly did two lots of dough so uh, a chocolate one and a and a plain one or something like that oh yes there was a chocolate one with uh, with Kimberly yes wasn't there and uh, we saw Glenn struggling to get his uh, brioche out of the bowl after it had been refrigerated overnight. You know, it was really struggling to get it out. But we had some beautiful, beautiful flavours and lots of lovely European words that I'm not really going to attempt to pronounce. But Howard, we really do have to talk about your little peachy buns because I think they are just delightful. They were so good. And we've had comments that we've... Uh, that we didn't actually do them in the Bake Along series. People wanting your peachy buns, oh, Howard. Oh, that's a shame. I have done them in a like an in-person class. Somebody won me, I think, in a raffle or something like that. And they requested that that we did peachy buns. But I, what I had to do was kind of make one lot of brioche up the night before and take it with me. 
and then went through the process for making brioche on the day so they'd got some to take away with them but yeah it's it's a a tricky thing and I, I learned a lot from that about how to get more of a kind of flavor in there really how would you get more flavor in there you, you have to cheat a little bit right so you can get a kind of peach extract and if you use something it's really hard to get dried peaches but you can get dried apricots and if you soak dried apricots in a peach liqueur or a peach extract you can get more of a kind of intense flavor in the center than you do with a fresh peach which is what I'd been using. Because I just wonder because the peach sort of disappeared they said it almost disappeared in there if you had used a tinned peach do you and wrapped it in your marzipan do you think that might have held together and given you more of you know at least an orange blob in the middle rather than disappear? Possibly yeah. That's what I was about to say. No, I did a peach dessert for my showstopper in one of my series. And I had some fresh peaches that I poached just for the appearance of them. But in the actual dessert, I used tinned peaches because they're obviously picked in the height of their season where they got the flavour. And obviously they're quite wet. But if you sort of dry them off with some kitchen towel or whatever, they're generally okay. I thought that was a bit of a harsh criticism. Was there, apart from the peach flavour, was there any spice or anything in them, Howard? Oh, I can't remember now. There must have been something, some vanilla or like something. Some cinnamon there, or something. I don't think there was cinnamon. The other one, the Baumschnecken, had, had got spice and maple syrup and hazelnuts and things like that. They were all kind of tree flavours, uh, which is why they were called Baumschnecken. You had a marzipan in yours, so maybe there was some almond in it. Yes, yeah. Mary was quite pleased at the fact that I was making my own marzipan it's like it's really not that hard actually it's just egg white and (laughs) almonds yeah it's really it's two ingredients Gary I can manage that (laughs) well we had some really really lovely flavors again everybody did so well on the flavors this week we had some really nice chocolate rum-soaked prune brioches from Becca and some cardamom spiced lemon iced buns as well. Paul was a bit unsure about Becca's uh, design on the top of her iced buns because he seems a bit of a purist when it comes to that. What Paul likes to do, as we know from uh, another series, I forget which one it was, is when he ices his buns, he likes to get his big sausagey fingers and just wipe them all over the top of the buns. That's how he likes to do it, isn't he? <laughs> so I don't. I think her design was a little bit too dainty for his taste. Paul's, I think, from the generation and the same generation as my my father-in-law is a bit older than him. Uh, but you know, it's sort of it's they churn out lots of popular things and things like ice buns would have been, you know, an absolute staple for, you know, his, his dad's bakery when he was growing up. So I'm sure he was very, very familiar with an old fashioned ice bun. Uh, I thought Becca's looked lovely. I mean, personally, I do think the more icing, the better on a nice finger. So maybe I would have liked a little bit more, but I thought the design was pretty and you know, it's TV. You need to make it a little bit pretty. Don't you? Don't you? It was lovely. It was nice with the little drizzle. Christine definitely, I think, redeemed herself from her underbaked loaf in the first challenge. She had some lovely cherry raisin schnecken buns, which is just the best word ever. Isn't it? Yes, Christine did very well with her vanilla custard and strawberry jam. Scullabrot. Scullabrot. Yes, what what you said. <laughs> it looked delicious, didn't it? I thought that they looked did. really yummy as they cut through it. Oh, I could eat one yeah. of those, right? Haven't had breakfast yet. I could eat one now. They, they look delicious, I have to say. Very, and as Mary said, very lucky children to get them. They reminded me a little bit of, in my season we did... I'm going to butcher the French because I'm not uh, particularly apt to it. It's Puis more like Wells of Love or whatever. And that was like shoe pastry that had uh, a creme pat and a jam in it uh, or a compote in it. And I thought they were very similar, but sort of like maybe an easier version. I thought they sounded absolutely bloody delicious. Like very much like a donut. Uh, I thought that would have been lovely. Good old jam and custard. Can't go wrong there. Oh, you really can't. Francis's nuts and crosses designs were just delightful, weren't they? Her hot cross bun brioches and her rhubarb and custard kolaches. I think she did reasonably well with that. Apparently slightly overproved, according to Paul, but uh, excellent design and I think good substance. If you do overprove it, it just tends to be the shape that suffers. I think it's, it doesn't really affect the texture, in my opinion, particularly unless it's massively overproved. So I would thought those would have still been delicious anyway. I like the look of her kolache a lot. I tend to make her... Well, they're not technically kolache, they're a savoury version. 
that I make with like beef hot dog and plastic cheese in them. Oh my God, they're so good. It's, uh, it, it sounds sound, so delicious. It sounds, sounds awful. awful, but it's so good. It's, you know, when something's so gross, it's amazing. You know, that kind of, you know, you know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. know, we know. Yeah, but it's made with the same dough and it's like, it's such a delicious enriched sort of slightly sweet dough it's really really lovely so i'm sure those would have been very very nice kimberly did reasonably well as well with her double chocolate brioches with kumquat marmalade and her almond and apricot danish cannel snurer i feel like i'm making you this are. up and i apologize to anybody who has the correct pronunciation I think the judges said the brioche had good flavour, but again, underbaked in the middle, which seems to be a theme this week. Mm. And I think the almond and apricot ones, you couldn't really taste the almond cream in the middle of them and again needed more rice. So not Kimberly's best bake there. No, but I did learn about making kumquat marmalade. I didn't know that. And the Mm. fact that you can do that very quickly is uh, something that I will bear in mind because I love making marmalade. I do, but it does take forever, doesn't it? Um, luckily, Luckily, you only end up doing it once a year. But uh, I'm like, wait, did I make marmalade? Yes, I did. No panic. I've got 10 jars. We'll be fine. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the kumquat one, I didn't realise you can make it so quickly. That's I will use that if I need to make a marmalade in a hurry. I thought that was a brilliant tip. If you need to make a marmalade in a hurry, just nip down to the supermarket and buy a jar. It's not as good. <laughs> <laughs> it's nowhere near as good and you know it. Don't play with my emotions, James. <laughs> Uh, and we had Ruby as well, who did very well with her twisted lemon and chocolate Swedish cannel buller. And what? Uh, using the cannel using, buller. Buller, you heard, buller. You heard me. Yes. <laughs> you heard me. She was using a similar twisting technique that somebody used in uh, in the breadstick challenge with the lovely little twists. So that was very nice. And her saffron St. Lucia buns as well. Flavours good and not overbaked at all. Which uh, Ruby did think it was uh, overbaked. She really did apologise for that bake before she brought it up, didn't she? Is is Saint Lucia in in Europe? No, no it's in the Caribbean. She <laughs> <laughs> was slightly off course with with European sweet buns on that one. But... Oh yeah, <laughs> they've gone on holiday. Oh, that's curious. I thought you were actually testing our geography skills there, but no, you already knew. You're just being sassy. Okay, I get it now. Um, but I, one thing I did enjoy about the critique, I don't know if it was just uh, the editing, but when they talked, Paul talked about the butter having all fallen out of your buns and they're more biscuity, you just sounded so over it, Howard. <laughs> just like... I'd made the most stupid... I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this before. I'd made the most stupid mistake. They, there was a bench at the front which had a proving drawer, and I said, can I prove my buns in that spare proving drawer? They said, yeah, fine. Pop them in. Never check the temperature. It was on high. And so they oh. overproved. And I thought, they've told us these have got to be identical. I better overprove the other ones to match. Oh. So a complete lack of, of kind of sense. I could have had half of them that were decent, but I just went for consistency. Biscuit consistency. Absolutely. You go oh. for that consistency. Go, go hard or go home. Well done. Exactly. And I went hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went home. Lovely. Um, can I just, you know, we were talking about proving things last week. I think in the last episode, were we talking about that? Mm. Yes. And everybody talking about yes, proving we had a question about proving. Did I mention Nancy Bertwistle's tip for proving? Microwave. The microwave. Did we you talk about it? You didn't mention it. We didn't mention it last week. No, go on. I tried it this week because Nancy, as anybody who has watched Nancy's series and follows her on social media will know, is an absolute genius. She said, put a glass of water into the microwave and heat it so that it boils. So it's got some steam and it's got this little warm heat source of boiled water in there. And then without covering your bread, put it in the microwave. Obviously, don't turn the microwave on. Um, Put it in the microwave with your hot water and your slightly steamy habitat 
and just prove it in there. And I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. It looks quite interesting. Works a treat. Absolute genius. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you overboil your water, which I did yesterday when I was making my very, very quick focaccia light loaf. And my water then exploded. (laughs) (laughs) How can water explode? And it... All the water must have just, I just heard a boof, and it, all the water was all over the inside and there was none in my pot, so I had to start again. However, it's a genius way, if you have a microwave, of just getting that sort of nicely moist, slightly warm air, and the dough just rises very happily in there. What I do tend to do is just put it in a plastic bag and I put in a boiler kettle and put in a cup of big mug or a jug of boiling hot water i do that i do it that way but that's quite i quite like the idea of just putting it in the microwave but of course just for anyone who has not used the microwave before obviously don't put the bread in with it in a metal tin because that is a recipe for disaster obviously make sure you never turn the microwave on whilst the metal tin is in there yes i mean you don't you don't put whether you're in a plastic tin or a metal tin or a free form um, don't turn the microwave on because you're not actually cooking the dough in there you're just you've just heated it up and then you've got this very small contained steamy space um bread sauna oh yeah bread sauna (laughs) anyway works a treat bread sauna works a treat but you know what jane if you are struggling with time to uh do your focaccia you could always just go and get one from the shop yes you could i just have to have that either pick up some marmalade while you're down it's nowhere near as nice from the shop isn't it Oh, I mean, if you prove it once, is it even a focaccia, Jane? Uh, no, no, no. It didn't have a focaccia texture, but it was very tasty, and I stuck loads of oil in it. Sure, um, it had all the lovely flavour, anyway. It had all the lovely flavours, and to dip it into a really, really, really nice beef casserole and mop the juices up when you haven't got any other bread was Ooh, oh, delicious. delicious. Well, let's just very quickly talk about uh, poor Glenn, who did not have the best challenge. And uh, it definitely seemed to be between you, Howard and Glenn, over who was going to go home that week. Glenn's apricot and almond vanilla brioches, they tasted good, apparently, but were very dry. And Paul didn't appreciate just little bits of apricot on top. And the sticky caramel... Kellen Burnin, um was also apparently very I'm not gonna try down because you take you took the bit out of me the last time. They didn't work, did they? Though his little sticky bonds. I mean not only did they get stuck in the tin, but did Paul say something about the caramel tasted sour? Did he? He said they didn't taste or good. Something? And I think yeah, there was maybe there was too much I might have made up the word. Too sour, much cinnamon though. in. I think there was quite um, right. a aftertaste with the cinnamon the flavors just didn't work he said the first one he said sadly this hasn't worked it doesn't taste good and then for the second one he said uh they look awful <laughs> they taste good but they're dry overbaked he did not bathe himself in glory so howard why do you think the producers chose to send you home when glenn clearly should have gone home why would you say that is I don't think he should. I don't think he should. I don't think he should. I think his I, I think his tea love was better than mine and he came higher in the in the technical than I did. So I'm just creating some drama. Don't worry, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember we, we spoke about Gogglebox earlier and the, the one of the things there was a couple from London, Sandy and Sandra, and they were saying, Oh, it's between the old man and the fat man. It's the old man and the fat man. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Oh, you weren't even old. Oh, bless you. Being in the Tedgers aged you, Howard. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you shouldn't have watched Gogglebox. How cool was that? It was was glorious television, though, to see two middle-aged men on the brink of tears. That's what we want from our... On the brink. (laughs) Well, as you guys have hopefully already seen, and as we've alluded to, it was Howard's time to go uh, this week. But before we talk about that, a quick mention to our star baker, who was Ruby, who'd done very well and was seemed almost surprised that she'd uh, actually got Star Baker. She did very well in her tea loaf challenge. She'd had excellent flavours all the way through and uh, obviously came top of the technical. So I think a well-deserved win there. What do you think? Yes, a very well-deserved win for the very arrogant and self-satisfied Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) I think Francis was close, I have to say. Oh, really? She was getting there. She was getting there. 
she did very well. She didn't have lots of the uh, traditional comments and uh, hopefully, well, hopefully, again, you've all seen how well she did, but uh, I think she'll be fine. She will have her day. But Howard, we had to say goodbye to you and your little outro was just so sweet where you talked about how you were so close to everybody and you were going to miss everybody. And right at the beginning, I think it was Becca talked about, it was a learning and sharing experience. Do you feel that that summed up your time in the tent? Yes, it it, it, it was, actually. And I, I, was, I was really sad to go. And I think the main reason was I thought, this is the end of it now. And it's just so lovely to think that actually it's not the end of it. It's just the end of you leaving the show but actually you can carry on doing lots and lots of stuff after so yeah well yeah. especially you howard you know there are people i look back on a series that maybe have done as well as you and i think oh gosh don't really remember them terribly well but you are so popular and are so lovable and you know, I can see why you've continued to do loads and loads and loads of work. And, and thank goodness, because otherwise we wouldn't be doing this with you. I wouldn't ever have come across you had you not been on Bake Off and had you been so wonderful. So I am very grateful you went on to Bake Off because you make my life richer. Thank you. Oh, oh God, that's so sweet. That, let, let, let's stop talking before Dan leaves it with some fantastic comments. That's very, very sappy and sentimental. Um, but of course, yeah. oh, you Aww. horrible person, you. You wait well, until it's your turn in the series. I can find some other things to say. Clapping with glee. I can see it now, Jane. No, but of course, we don't have to say goodbye to Howard because we hang out with him every week. Yeah, um, we do. Yay! <laughs> it's never a goodbye to Howard, indeed. Well, that is the end of our podcast for this week, but we do have to mention our next Bake Along class that we have. And of course, with it nearly being Easter, we have done a lovely Quran in the technical. That is what we're going to be making on Sunday, the 9th of April. With the lovely Ian coming, we're going to be making an Easter Quran. It's going to be very nutty and fruity and taking inspiration from lots of flavours that we've had in the tent this week, as well as as traditional Easter flavours and we're also going to be doing some lovely Florentines as well whilst our Quran is baking. So do come along to our class, our next in our Bake Along series with Ian Cumming and his Easter Quran on Sunday the 9th of April. We hope to see you all there. Thank you so much Dan, Jane and Howard, you lovely people. Thank you so much for doing the podcast with me. It's so much fun as always. And thank you everybody for listening. Don't forget you can also get 10% off your next class with the code podcast. Uh, that's all of our classes at bakewithalegend.com. We hope to see you all very soon. Goodbye. just heard a stripped media production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 